Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Spirit of where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. The Pirkei Avis Podcast is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network, where we actively encourage Jews to think and engage in the search of how to be intentionally Jewish. Check us out on intentionaljew.com. Chapter chapter 3, Mishnah 10. The If you remember, the Mishnah 8 started with um, Rabbi Dostoy, and then Mishnah 9 was... Mishnah 9 was... Yes, I muted everyone. Um, Rabbi, the mission number nine was Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, who talked about Yiras Chet before Chachma, and Chachma, the, the Chachma, your wisdom would endure. And then he spoke about, um, he used to say that anybody whose actions were greater than his wisdom, so, and, the, and the, that his wisdom would endure. Then, in Mishnah 10, he used to say, what we discussed yesterday, that anybody who has the Spirit of God exuding from men, anybody who you see Malchus from that person, then we know that God is pleased with that person. And then we have Rabbi Dosa ben Hurkinus, Omer. Now, again, Mishnah 9 was Chanina ben Dosa. It seemed to be the son. And then in Mishnah 10, in the middle of Mishnah 10, comes Rabbi Dosa, the son of Hyrcanus. So it sounds like that it is the, um, it's the father and then the son, which is not the normal way that you would find Mishnayos. You would normally imagine that you would find, especially in the first, first two chapters, it was sort of chronological order. And here, if in fact, this is the father and the son, there are those that have a different opinion of who this Rabbi Dosa ben Hyrcanus was, that he wasn't necessarily the father of Rabbi Hanino ben Dosa, it was a different Dosa, but according to those that say that this was father and son, so then we have to explain why is it that the son is written before the father. Remember that the son didn't speak before the father. Rabbi Yudah Nasi, Judah the prince, organized the Mishnayos, and he organized it to put first the Mishnah of the son and then the Mishnah of the father. So we're going to have to figure what's the connection between the two Mishnayos, the one which talks about wisdom and actions, the fear of God and actions, and then the Mishnah that talks about the things that we're going to talk about today, what do they have to do with each other, and why is the one before the other? Okay, and I will, believe that, I will address that. Let's take a look at these four. So Rabbi Dosa ben Hurkinus Omer, Okay, and it's here in the, on, on the side in your Mishnah. It's just like halfway down in the Mishnah. So Rabbi Dosa ben Hurkinus says, Shena shel shachris, sleeping late in the morning. Now the commentaries say that what that means is not a person who sleeps till 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. It means that a person who is a ma'arich b'shinasai, a person who who like grabs onto his sleep in the morning and he dafka doesn't get up and he misses the time of Kriyashma and of Tfila. 
Well, we're going to have to deal with that because it sounds like the problem is not so much that he's sleeping late, but the problem is that because he's sleeping late, he's missing minion. He's missing davening. A person is missing the obligations that he has in the morning. Okay, then, yayin shel tzaharayim, which means a lechayim in the afternoon. It sounds like the beginning of a Simon and Garfunkel song. The yayin shel tzaharayim, that a person who is um, who drinks in the middle of the day, and again, the commentaries say, the Rabbi Yoyna and others say, that what it means is that Moshech Libo Shaladim, that it, it draws the heart of a person towards drunkenness. And what happens is that he doesn't learn Torah and he ends up doing other outrageous things. So again, it doesn't sound like the Lechayim in the afternoon is the problem. It sounds like the fact that it is leading him away from the study of Torah that's the problem. The Yeshivas Bate Knesios excuse me, and speaking like children. What's the speaking like children? So again, the commentaries say the Shashuya Yuladim Akitanim. their fathers are drawn after the games of the children. I guess the best way to put it is like the, the fathers that play video games. But it's not just because they're spending time with their child, but because they actually have mastered those video games and love those video games. You know, when I was a child, I had a train set, one of these Lionel train sets, which today, you know, it would be worth an an enormous amount of money today. Um, And my father, Oliver Shalom, was an artist and a very, very creative person. And he built an entire city for for this train track. And, and it was one of the difficulties that existed between my father and I is who got to play with it more. <laughs> but but it, wasn't, it wasn't he was drawn after toys. It was just, it was such a creative, the, the way that he had built it was so incredibly creative with trees and mountains and, and all the stuff you see, you know, when you go to these train museums, we had one of those in our basement. And... Um, so, so I understand this concept of the of the it means being drawn after the the toys of a child, and again it says that because you're drawn after this, you're not studying Torah. And then the fourth thing is yeshivas batekneisios is sitting in gathering places of ame arts of ignoremai. It doesn't mean necessarily shuls, but it means gathering places and speaking dvarim betelim, just sitting around and shooting the breeze, and and doing nothing. And again, because you're bottom in a Torah, right? You're not, you're not studying Torah, doing anything worthwhile. So all these four, what is the result of these four, says the Mishnah? It takes a person from this world. The commentaries say, that it causes a person to die early because a person is created in order to be able to be osik, to be involved in Torah and mitzvahs. And this is the, the Torah mitzvah is the length of our days and the, the measure of our years. And a person who does these things and he's involved in emptiness and he's battle and he nullifies himself from the study of Torah, what does he need his life for? And it's roughly, and I'm just translating the, the commentaries, and it's, it's, it's going to bring him out of this world and it's emptiness and it's going to make his life empty. Now, I, to- I completely agree. This is the commentaries. I mean, I'm not arguing with them. But but I'm not sure that that Mishnah is telling me that. I'm, I'm not sure that the Mishnah is just telling me that be careful with these things because um, these things can make your life unproductive. First of all, we know people that live with, with many of these things and they live productive lives. 
even though they're wasting time and they're, they're not necessarily being as productive as they could be, but they're living fine lives. They're happy. They're, they're doing fine and they live long lives. And I'm not seeing this all in Olam. They don't die um, early. So what exactly, what exactly is this talking about? Plus, why, if you're going to tell me that the real problem of this mission, according to the commentaries, the real pro- problem, the classic commentaries, the real problem of the mission is, is that if you're involved in these things, it's going to drag you away from the study of Torah. Then why not just tell me a person who's dragged away from the study of Torah, he's going to, he's going to waste his time. He's going to be wasting his life. In other words, tell me that if you, if you don't say Shema and you don't put on Tefillin and you don't learn Torah, right, all the things that we, that we say, these things are going to drag you too, then just tell me that that's the problem. That, that's the problem with life. The problem with life is, is that if you get drawn after these, why tell me if you sleep late, if you make a l'chaim in the afternoon, if you, if you speak like a child, you, know, you get involved in children's games and you sit around in the mall sitting and schmoozing with people. Like, why not just tell me the real problem? The real problem is, is that you're going to be drawn after, um, you're going to be drawn after these things and you're not going to study Torah. So why, why say these things? There's nothing really wrong with waking up late. There's nothing wrong with having L'chaim in the afternoon. So why pin it on these things? Plus, it seems to be a little simplistic. Remember our rule about Perkyavos? That if you think you understand the Mishnah, you don't. So if you think that the Mishnah is saying to you, don't take a L'chaim in the afternoon and don't sleep late, that's not what the Mishnah is saying to you. So, so what's the Mishnah really saying to us? It's interesting that the, the Rambam has a little bit of a different twist on this. The Rambam lists, the, the, he says these things, that the problem with these things is that it ruins the exaltedness of the Jewish people. We know that we're B'nai Malachim, we're royalty, and getting involved in these things really ruins what's called the Tzura Sa'adam. It ruins the, 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 the very nature of men, the very makeup of men. Okay, I'm... Not sure how that does how that that does it. Having lachaim in the afternoon ruins your tsuris adam. Okay, so I want everybody to stop for one minute. I want to tell. Let's make it thirty seconds so it doesn't get uncomfortable. I don't need answers. I just want you to spend thirty seconds looking at that mishnah. You can look at the English on the, the on if you have English in front of you or English on the on the screen. I just want you to to think for thirty seconds. What is the connection? between these four things, what, what could be the possible message that the mission is trying to, to send me? Morning sleep, midday wine, children's talk, and sitting in the assembly of the ignorant. So I'm going to tell you what I think is going on here. If you ever looked inside of a Torah scroll, you'll notice in the Torah scroll there are spaces in a Torah scroll. When I say the word Parsha, every one of you thinks the week's Parsha. Parsha's Bamidbar, Parsha's Naso, Parsha's Baloscha. But in truth, when we talk about a Parsha in the Torah, we're talking about a section of the Torah. And that the way the Torah is written is that it's written section, then there's a space. There are two types of spaces called Psuchos and Stumos. There are open spaces, closed spaces. There are times where the paragraph will end. It'll be empty until the end of the paragraph, and then the next paragraph will begin on the next line. There are times where there's nine-letter spaces in between, so the paragraph will end. Then there's a space of nine letters, and then the next paragraph will begin on the same line. 
Okay, there are different reasons for the, for, for the different types of spaces. Psuchas, stumos, in between every book of the Torah, between Bracious and Shmos, there are four lines. In between, um, so, so there are all these, all these spaces in the Torah. Why are there spaces? So the reason that there are spaces in the Torah, our rabbis tell us, is because God gave Moshe Rabbeinu a chance to be able to think and to assimilate the information that was just taught him. Because there's a lot more in the Torah than meets the eye. When we talked about, I'm pretty sure we talked about it here, in the parsha, the, the, the Thursday parsha thing that we talked, when we dealt with the upside-down nuns, and we said that there was two verses that were, um, that, were, that were sort of pulled out from the rest of the Torah, and it was a book on its own. And we said that the reason why it was that those two verses were a book on its own is because, the, even though it was a very, very small book, because we said the Torah was written black fire on white fire. Black fire is the, our understanding of the Torah. The white fire is God's, the depth of the Torah, which we can't fathom. And in that book of the Torah, there were only two verses that we could understand. The rest of it was, was really the way God runs his world and that it was something that, that we couldn't fathom. God gave these white spaces. He gave these spaces to Moshe in order to be able to assimilate, to think, to be able to work through what he had just taught him. There is one exception to the rule, and that is in Pashas Vayigash and Pashas Vayichi. In Bereshus, the Pasha where Yosef reveals himself to his brothers and the Pasha where Yaakov comes down to Egypt and dies in Egypt. There are no empty spaces there. If you're a Balkore, when it comes to Lane, when it comes to read the Torah, it's very complicated to find exactly where you are because there's no empty spaces. There's no new paragraphs. It's sort of a run-in from the beginning to the end of these two pashios. And the reason that that's true is that our rabbis say that because the eyes and the hearts of the Jewish people became sealed because it was the beginning of the exile of the Jewish people. The fact that Yosef, when he revealed himself to his brothers and then brought Yaakov down to Mitzrayim, that was the beginning of Golut Mitzrayim. It was the beginning of the exile of Egypt. It was the beginning of the suffering of the Jewish people, of the beginning of the enslavement. And because of that, the parsha reflects what was going on in the hearts and minds of the Jews. The parsha has no opening. There is no beginning, no end, because that's the way we were experiencing it. This was just run on. It was now just the beginning of the darkness. Our eyes and our hearts became dark. We had no time to think. There was no revach. There was no space to think and assimilate what was going on, to be able to, to bring in and internalize what was happening to us. And that's reflected by the way the parsha is written. There's only one small problem. It says that in, in Pasha's Vayera, it tells us how long Levi lived. And the commentaries wonder, why does it teach us how long Levi lived? Because the rabbis say, because the shibud, the, the servitude in Mitzrayim began when Levi died. Now that's a blatant contradiction. Because on the one hand, you're telling me that when did the exile begin? The exile began when 
the, when the Jews went down, when Yaakov went down to Egypt, which was many, many, many years before Levi died. On the other hand, we're saying, when did the exile begin? When Levi died. What's going on here? So I'm going to tell you like this. Nobody in the world wants to cry. If I offered you money to let me make you cry, you'd say no. I offer you a lot of money. Just let me make you cry. No, it's not worth it. Yet, we're willing to pay Netflix or the movie theater money to cry. I remember as a child, my grandmother, Allah Shalom, who was a, a holy neshama, but she loved movies. And my grandmother, Europeisha, or Europeisha Yid, took me to see Love Story. I was, I was under bar mitzvah. I was maybe nine or ten. And she took me to see Love Story. Now, the reason she took me to see Love Story is because I had to hold the box of tissues. And she cried her way through that movie. And I'm thinking... You know, you're paying money for this. Why, why would you do that? Why would anybody watch a horror movie and get, and there are people that, that don't, but, but there are plenty of people that do clearly because they keep making them. So why would a person watch a horror movie knowing that you're going to be scared out of your pants? You know, a young girl watches a movie about babysitters and how a babysitter is terrorizing us. Shut the movie off. No, she doesn't shut the movie off. She'll watch the entire thing. And then the next time she babysits, she's going to be freaked out of her skin because she's so worried that the movie's going to come real. Why would you do that to yourself? You know that it's not real. You know that it's just a movie. You know, this, this shtisel that was on, the, on television. I remember seeing, you know, they were very believable characters. And I remember... Seeing, seeing afterwards the, the characters without their, their stuff on. And it was like a shock. It was like, what, you became fry in like a day? Like, what happened? You know, because they, they, looked, they looked so religious. They looked so real. So, so we know that it's not real. We know that it's not true. We know that it's not accurate. So then why is it that we, that we love movies and that we love crying at movies and we love putting ourselves through this? Because we make a conscious decision to escape reality. Movies, books, you know, when a person's watching a movie, try to talk to them when they're watching a movie. The world could explode and they're watching a movie. It's like, don't bother me now. A person's reading a book. Everything around them could be collapsing. Don't make a difference. They're into the characters. They're into the book. They're so lost in that because what they've done is is that they've entered another reality. I remember once going to a three-hour movie as a young man, and I thought I was going to die. Three hours. And the reason was because I did not enter into the reality of that movie. It just didn't grab me from the first second, and every second was excruciating because I didn't get lost in the reality. That's why the movie industry is so lucrative, because as long as it's not my reality, it's a good reality. And even if people are dying on the screen, it's fine. It's not my reality, because my reality in my mind is much worse. And I would much rather step out of my reality and enter into somebody else's reality. Because when I escape from reality, 
I, I soften the difficulties that I live with. I soften the harsh realities of the reality that I live in. And that, my friends, is what I see this mission is saying to us. What this mission is saying is, is that there are four things that are motzian as adam mina'ilam. Doesn't mean necessarily you're going to die early. What it means is, is you're going to, it's going to take you out of your reality. Shena shel shachris. It doesn't mean a person who sleeps late. It means a person who stays in bed. It means a person who can't, can't muster the energy to get out of bed. It's a person who's escaping reality. Yayin Shotzarayim. Look, we're not talking about you go to a simcha in the middle of the day and you make a lechayim. We're not talking about that, you know, you, you close a good deal, you make a lechayim. We're talking about a person who finds themselves in the middle of the day having a lechayim, in the middle of the day drinking, because it's painful to exist in my own reality. And therefore, if I can escape my reality, soften that blow, deaden that a little bit. I once asked a person who I love, who was a drinker, and I asked him, why are you drinking? And said, because the alternative is not so cool. Because the pain of life and the pain of, of just regular existence, which there is always going to be pain, it's blunted and it's easier to live when you can dull it and escape it. Sichas Yeladim. Sichas Yeladim doesn't mean playing with your kids. Sichas Yeladim means that you, you, you come to love those things because there's an escape in reality. You know, it's very different when a parent says, I love playing shoots and ladders with my child to a parent that says, I love playing shoots and ladders. I love playing shoots and ladders with my child means that I love the, 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 the together time, the bonding time with my child. I don't care if we're playing a stupid game called shoots and ladders. It doesn't make a difference. I just love playing with my child. I love being there and experiencing being with my child. That's very different to I love shoots and ladders. If you love shoots and ladders on your own, that means because you're escaping reality. In those few minutes that you're playing shoots and ladders, nothing else is bothering you. Nothing else is hurting you. You've walked out and escaped your reality. Sichas, yeshivas, amioritz, sitting, the batiknesios of amioritz, sitting and losing touch with reality, just talking about sports, talking about anything else other than what's real and what's important. This is why it doesn't say the crime. It doesn't say because it's going to lead you away from learning Torah or it's going to make you miss the shmar, miss davening, because the crime is just the outcome. It's not the main thing. The crime is creating, the real crime here is that you're creating a false reality. That's what the Ramah means when he says that you're nullifying what you were created for. You're nullifying the tsuras ha'odam, the very form of the human being, the, the reality of being human. You're nullifying that because you're escaping your reality. The Torah expects us always to live in reality because reality is sanity. We say, what's an insane person? An insane person is a person who, who has no, who's not in touch with reality. You don't want to hear an amazing thing? Chazal say, when does a person sin? When nichnas bayruach shtus. When, when a spirit of insanity enters a person. What does that mean, a spirit of insanity? That means when you get up there after 120, God says to you, why did you sin? You say, I was insane. Can't get me, God. I was insane. Cop the insanity plea. What does that mean? That ruach, that, that ruach shtus grabs a person. It means because you escaped reality. The terrorist says, this is what your reality is. Reality is Torah mitzvahs. You walk outside of that, you're escaping reality. 
you know, I have to do this very quickly, but it's amazing. The Torah says that if you remind the convert of where they were in the past, you know, don't tell me I shouldn't speak Lashon because you used to dance around a Christmas tree. If you bring them back to their past, so then you have, that's considered a terrible crime. If a person says to Balchuva that don't you remember the days where, you know, you used the tarfus? So that's a, considered a terrible crime. A, a person who makes their spouse cry is considered a terrible crime. Why is that? Because the Torah has a concept of reality for a convert, for a balchuva, for a marriage. The reality for a convert is, is that they're considered like a berya chadasha. They're considered like a, like a cotton oil dummy, like a new child. And therefore, they're brand new. They're one, two, three, four, five years old. If you bring them back to their past, what you're doing, you're saying the Torah's reality, which says that you are cut off of your past, is not true. I'm reconnecting you back to your past. That's taking them out of reality. That's a crime. When you turn to a Balchuva, a Balchuva is a Beri Chadash, is a brand new being, a brand new human being. His name changed, his essence changed. And you turn to that person and you remind them back of the Chazar eating days. You're, you're saying that the Torah's reality for you, which is that you are a new person, that's not, a, that's not the reality I'm living in. And when a person makes their spouse cry, the Torah says, what's the reality of, a, of, of spouses? That a man and his wife are like one. And that if you, if you would insult your spouse, then you're saying we're not one. You're living outside of the reality of the Torah. When you live outside of reality, that's where danger begins. And that's why we need to be in control at all times. But in the escape world, we're not in control. In the escape world, we are being controlled. And that's very attractive. And that's why we need this Mishnah. When Yaakov Avinu went down to Mitzrayim, when we stepped outside of reality, when the Shibud began, and we were now in a completely different, different reality, we were in a different reality in our mindset, and that's when the Shibud began. But the physical, the physical servitude, that didn't begin until Levi died. But our mindset, stepping outside of reality, seeing the world in a different kind of way, living in a different kind of reality was the minute that we hit Mitzrayim, the minute that we got there. And that's why Chazal tell us both of those points are the beginning of Shibud with the beginning of our servitude in Egypt. One was the beginning of stepping outside of reality and one was the beginning of the physical Shibud. That's the reason why anger is so dangerous because anger, we lose sight of reality. Why did the son appear before the father? Because the sun talks about the beauty of reality. The beauty of having wisdom and having fear of God and being inside of reality. And the father comes along and says, this is what happens when you step outside of reality. That's why they're out of order. They're out of order because they're teaching us just like we had in the first chapter with the Zugos. One of them was fear, one of them was love. And the, the very often the positive would come before the negative. That's the same over here. The son presents the positive. The father says, but let me just give you a dose of reality of what happens when you step outside of it. Look how dangerous it is. It takes you outside of your reality. And therefore we have the father and the son talking to us. The son first with positive and then the father with euro with negative. And I think that that's the reason why you have the order the way you do in these Mishnayas. This Mishnah, Miss Mishnah is so unbelievably exciting to me. I think that, the, that, that taking these four things, looking at it that way, is, is an, incredible, an incredible perspective that what the Mishnah is telling me is 
is that the danger in life is when we escape reality. You sometimes have to face it, have to deal with it. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be painful and it doesn't mean that it's not going to be challenging, but it is still reality and it's in reality that we have to continue to exist.